0: Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 96. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing alright. Got a big show lined up today. we got two interviews and a feature review. First, we'll be speaking with director Alex Winter on his film Deep Web, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. Then we'll be having a conversation with director J.R. Huto on His film Diamond on Vinyl, which is currently playing on Video On Demand. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before jumping into a feature review of Out of the Furnace. And finally, we'll be covering this week's movie predictions, new on Video On Demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's talk with director Alex Winter about his upcoming film Deep Web, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. Alex, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me. I was thinking we could just get started by uh, telling us a little bit about Deep Web.
1: Um, sure. Uh, just about my movie or
0: about the Deep Web in uh, general? Let's start by talking about the movie, and then I, I do have a couple questions regarding what, what kind of stuff the film is going to contain.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, the movie is about the Deep Web, and the Deep Web is um, being represented right now publicly in all sorts of ways, very few of which are actually accurate. And the movie that I'm making is about uh, kind of the world that we live in today. It's really the next conversation up from the Napster an story, which is really about global community and the first global communities online and, uh, you know, the world we're living in today with Bitcoin and the deep web and Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer currency which is really an evolution from Napster in many, many ways in terms of its architecture. You know, what we're really looking at is, is um, the evolution of the web itself. Um, and in some ways, it's a natural evolution, and in some ways it's been sort of mutated in all these interesting ways. Uh, from the birth of the web uh, to Napster in, you know, late uh, 90s, early 2000s, to uh, sort of rise of, of the deep web uh, in scale, which has led to, um, you know, all kinds of encryption services that have allowed for kind of widespread uses of the deep web from a lot of legitimate reasons to, you know, things like the black market, which has been getting a lot of press lately. Which is just one tiny part of the deep web. So the movie is really encompassing all of that and it's looking at what the implications of this is on global culture. You know, to have. Um, a mass community online that's anonymous and what that really means about where we're going and you know, privacy and uh, global community and transparency. I mean, there's so many issues at at stake or at play um,
0: revolving around this. So what drew you into this subject? Because as you mentioned, initially you started with Downloaded, which was the, the story about Napster. And then it does seem kind of like the next step in, in this kind of overarching uh, documentary series that you're doing. What, what kind of drew you into this initially? Well,
1: I think the, the thing that drew me into this story initially is exactly the same thing that drew me to Napster, which is, you know, I do a lot of stuff around technology in the film world. I've been directing for a long time and, um, so I started using the web really early on for work that I was doing. I got drawn into the emerging technologies around the early days of the web, uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, and then uh, into the BBS community, uh, which was really, you know, in many ways, the first uh, kind of widespread global um, web-based community. And everything that's in the deep web now it was there in the early 90s. The black markets were there, journalists were there, dissidents were there, governments were there. Really, pretty much all the things that we're finding now on a, on a wider scale or more, that's more in the public eye, was there 20 years ago. Um, and I found it very fascinating and was connected to a lot of really interesting people on the web then in like 92, 93. You know, which led me to the Napster story is a direct line. is that became, that was the first time in history that someone was able to crack... Uh, peer-to-peer architecture in a way that allowed a hundred million people, just regular people, not like tech-savvy people, to communicate with each other in real time on the web. And it had never happened before in Napster. So that drew me to Napster. And then, you know, to see how the world has changed since Napster, you know, everything from Arab Spring, WikiLeaks, the, you know, the Snowden scandal, to just, you know, the iPod and, you know, the way that we use technology in every corner of our lives, it's all sort of a direct line. And I've been fascinated in tracking that
0: line. Yeah. And, and it seems like with with this film you're gonna be focusing on the Bitcoin, which is the cryptocurrency that's used uh, it just really became popular very recently within the last few years. Were you an early adopter of Bitcoin? Were you have you been following this since the beginning? Yeah, I've been following
1: Bitcoin since I mean I'd say, you know, with a degree of. of of depth since 2010. Uh, it first fell on my radar probably in 2009, um, and I started working on the Napster story. then. I mean, I started working on the Napster story in 2001, but in terms of the, the documentary, I started working on it in 2009, 2010. So, um, you know, I was watching where things were going and how things were evolving um, and sort of like trying to determine what to put into my Napster doc and what to leave out. Um, so something I was researching heavily uh, back then. I wasn't an early adopter in the sense that I wasn't using Bitcoin. Um, I had really no reason to use it. And I was very fascinated with it. And it's really only been lately that it's, it's just becoming so prevalent for legitimate uses that there would be a reason for your average Joe to use Bitcoin. And you can buy everything from coffee to you use it as a, as a currency in an emerging you know, uh, economy in a a country at this point. So it's got a lot of uses today, but it didn't for a while for, for most people. And
0: one of the, one of the most known, I guess, infamous uses of Bitcoin is through sites like the Silk Road, which you're going to be talking about in the film, where you can essentially buy all matter of illegal things from drugs to weapons, to any, anything like that. So you'll be getting into that In more depth in the film as well right
1: yeah exactly I mean what I'm really looking at is what um, you know is what are the global implications of you know what I kind of think of as the age of cryptography which is the age that we're really living in now because cryptography has been you know um, at the heart of the web from the very beginning and has only gotten more advanced and more widespread Um, In the last 20-some odd years, you know, with the with the onset of Tor, uh, the onion router, about 10 years ago, it really allowed um, for the community, the anonymous community on the web, to expand um, at a massive rate and allow a lot more. It became a lot more user friendly. Sort of the way Napster allowed the average person to utilize peer-to-peer architecture. Tor allowed the average user to suddenly enter. It was an entree into you know what's now called the deep web. Um, and that's everybody from, you know, like I said, from the government, journalists, students, to people selling drugs and guns and all kinds of stuff on, on the, through the web. And so I'm interested in, in looking at all corners of it. What I'm not interested in is, you know, focusing on, a lot of people are confusing the dark web for the deep web. And the dark web is basically, you know, the black market area of the deep web. Mm-hmm. And it's a really small fraction of what's going on on the deep web. Um, and it kind of mischaracterizes both the deep web and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm
0: to um,
1: attach it so specifically to the dark web. It's sort of like saying that that money is bad because some people use it to buy drugs or a whole city is bad because over on, you know, 48th Street there's somebody selling weed um, when the entire city is mostly just functioning normally. That's a completely accurate description of the
0: deep web in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I I can definitely see that because especially with, like, the news coverage and stuff like that that bitcoin has been getting people aren't really focusing on the the noble aspects of the currency they're just kind of focusing on the the darker elements of it so i think that it's going to be great to have a documentary that maybe touches on some of the dark things but focuses on the just the phenomenon in general like as a whole that's
1: exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Okay.
0: So you're going to be accepting bitcoins as part of the donations for this film. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we already are. I already have a. Um, I already have a. Uh, we have a Kickstarter going now, and you can't. Uh, Kickstarter doesn't accept uh, right. bitcoins. So um, you know, we for the rewards and all of that stuff, that uh, has to be done through. Um, our kickstarter but if you just want to donate to the fund of the movie you know be part of the movie that way then i i already have a coinbase you know bitcoin page up and uh uh that's pretty easy to find so i can email it to you if you want yeah i'll definitely <laughs>
0: be putting the i'll put like the the wallet id or whatever it is i'll put that in the show notes Great. and all that stuff so i want to get back to the the awesome. kickstarter project so you're you're looking to get um, 75 grand for the film. I think it's really great that you're taking a film like this and crowdfunding it. I think that that, it just fits perfectly with what, you know, Kickstarter is all about. And I was wondering if you could maybe highlight some of the different perks that you're going to be offering with, with the uh, pledge.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, for me, it was obviously a no brainer to go to Kickstarter. Um, And Kickstarter really serves a lot of functions. I mean, frankly, just like the Internet does, I kind of look at, you know, the the web to me is really all about community. That's what makes it interesting and worthwhile. And this, I would say the same for crowdfunding. You know, Kickstarter for me is, because obviously $75,000 isn't going to make a movie. What, what I'm doing is I'm allocating a portion of our budget to um, creating communities so that we have a space in the budget to bring people into the movie, to be part of the movie from... Through the entire process of production, through post, and even into the, into the distribution life of the film, they become participants in that process, and they buy their way into that, and they become part of helping us fund the project, and they, you know, run shotgun on it in the deep web uh, movie community. So that's been awesome. I mean, even, we've only really been up for half of our run as of today, and we've done really well, and I've, I've already met, like, a ton of really interesting people. Um, that have become our backers that I'm now, you know, connected to, some of whom are people I'm actually going to use in the movie, people that are involved in the deep web world or who come from law enforcement that are involved in cybercrime or people who have, you know, been dealing with the insides of Bitcoin. And, you know, I have my experts already, people that we've already started interviewing, but it's really helpful to kind of, you know, reach out to the community and get more information and more inside scoop from people in that world. And it's it's really been great for that so far. Yeah, that's
0: great. And, and you do have a slew of... Uh great perks for people that are looking to to donate to this i mean you have <laughs> you have like all kinds of stuff oh the, yeah
1: I'm, oh the actual rewards yeah sorry i didn't realize what you meant yeah no we i mean it's really it spans the whole breadth of, of you know my stuff so it's you know stuff from downloaded rare uh posters and downloaded a lot of really cool bill and ted stuff uh, my original production drafts from both the bill and ted movies are there and then we're doing events, we're doing screenings, we're doing a Bill & Ted screening in New York and L.A., which I'll be at. We're doing a bunch of advanced uh, private screenings of the Deep Web movie, which you know, we'll all be at. And we're doing a couple of parties on both coasts, which are, will just be for backers. Um, so there's a lot
0: of cool stuff there. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, what, just one final question, I know you're going to hate me for asking this, but I just have to. Have there been any updates on Bill & Ted 3?
1: And um, I mean, you know, there's always updates because we're in the process of putting this movie together. So every day there's more stuff going on. It's just, you know, in terms of the press, you know, what the press is interested in justifiably is like, is the movie, in, are we shooting yet? And no, we're not shooting yet. We won't be shooting for a while, but, but we're in a very healthy place in terms of putting the film together and um, getting the script where it needs to be and getting all the elements together to make the movie. So it is, it's in a good place. That's- and um, I will let people will know when it's actually That's shooting.
0: fantastic. All right, well, Alex, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks again, Alex. Make sure you follow the link in the show notes to donate to Deep Web and get this film funded today. Now let's hop right into our next interview with director J.R. Huto on his film Diamond on Vinyl, which is currently playing on Video On Demand right now. J.R., thanks so much for taking some time to speak with us. Uh I just figured we could start off by uh, telling the listeners a little bit about the film. What is Diamond on vinyl?
2: Uh, well thanks for having me. Um it's you know, it's a, a film really that, that you know, it's sort of a love triangle, um, has a little bit of elements of, of noir, you know, and, and thriller, but of course really what it is is a is a character examination, um, you know, of a man, his fiance and this young uh interloper. Uh, who kind of uh, comes between them? And you know, for me, it really is about um, you know the nature of uh, a mediation of our own our own images of our own of our own lives, you know, um, and you know started from a place of thinking about things like like Facebook, like Instagram, and and how we kind of put a veneer on our own lives uh, for other people
0: um, to take in. Absolutely, and it's such an interesting idea, like just everything about this film I find to be really unique and like you said it, it, it does portray this very strong kind of character piece about these, these three individuals how did you come up with this idea for the script?
2: Well for me it actually it started off with thinking about you know um, actually characters that I didn't like very much you know it was actually started off uh, in this place where you know, I had a lot of contempt for Henry, that uh, the main character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time as the drafts built and I investigated more and more, you know, what it might mean to have those kinds of obsessions to, you know, the rehearsal, but also how that affected in terms of, um, you know, the, the, what kind of, kind of comes off as cheating. Of course, you know, he, he does strain in some ways, but of course, early in the film, he's not straying, but how that can feel, like a betrayal, you know, the recording um, of intimate moments without the other person knowing, and basically, I, I just started teasing that out um, through a lot of drafts and a lot of rewrites and things like that, and I ended up kind of falling in love with the characters and then trying to play this trick on the audience and myself, where people who are not who are self-centered and are are not necessarily good people or you know what we think of as good people, right? Um, but that you could find reasons to like them, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of fall for them and, and understand that really, you know, these aren't necessarily bad people. They're people in dark moments in their lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting cause like regarding Henry's kind of unusual obsession with kind of rehearsing conversations and just being so into that, did, did his fascination stem from, the safe and sound record that he became like so enamored with the, the series of records, or was it kind of just like a catalyst of what was to become?
2: Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I agree. I think it's a catalyst in that, you know, I think we all have these moments where we wish we had thought of something at the moment, right? The perfect comeback, or we rehearse, you know. I'm going to confront this person, and maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe we act on those things. Maybe we don't. Maybe we just have mm-hmm. a fantasy of, you know, confronting your boss or, you know, uh, whatever, um, speaking to your spouse about about something, and then you and then you lose the courage. I mean, so it was sort of, um, and that, along with, you know, kind of Charlie's obsessions and, and things like that, was basically trying to figure out, okay, what's what's normal look like. And then let's just push a little bit further than that, maybe a little bit further than that. And so that when you take the actions in a vacuum, they're extreme and and crazy. But hopefully in the moment um, and with the performances, you can sort of believe that someone could get to this point. And I think that the record is part of that in that, you know, well, if you're already accepting the fact that there's people that want to rehearse their interactions before they happen, which we all do to a certain extent, usually much much less extent. Mm-hmm. We could sort of believe that somebody could become obsessed with that and then this might be what happens from that, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And like like you said, it it's a film that's just kind of a little bit beyond normal. And I want to talk a little bit about the tone of the film. Cause going into it For me, it felt almost like it was a psychological thriller. And I felt like I I kind of expected things to end in some sort of violent conclusion. But you kept things very subdued and feeling very real. Uh, Like, did you intend for the film to have this kind of mounting dread that something terrible was about to happen?
2: Yeah, there were early drafts uh, where Henry, you know, um, you know, kills his fake father figure and their other their other drafts mm-hmm. were more extreme behavior that, you know, that Charlie has. And, and you know, I kind of, uh, my writing process is very much, you know, let's try everything and then cut it back to the thing that I really want. Um, but, but, And what I found was that in the end, while I really did want to play in those kind of genres, you know, uh, the thriller and the noir and, and these kinds of things, mm-hmm. ultimately what I thought was, for me most interesting was getting back to the character and i felt the character's you know as a character study it wasn't served to take it so far out as to be impl- totally implausible right of mm-hmm. this kind of violent end and it also i think allowed and i think focusing on the character allowed for growth and change and these kinds of things that that a traditional conclusion to the genre trope might not have done i mean you know, and again, at the end of the day, it's like it started from a place of disliking the characters and then ended in a place, in, you know, in The, in the Last draft and certainly in the film proper. that I really like the characters. And, um, you know, so for me, it was, it was very natural to want to, you know, uh, allow them an opportunity um, for, for change and growth and, and learning something as opposed to uh, kind of fulfilling their, you know, genre destinies, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, that that was the big thing. The thing that I liked the most about this film was the journey of all three characters. I mean, they had they were just so fully developed by the end of the film. And I want to talk about Sanja Kinski's character of, mm-hmm. of Charlie. Because cause while we have Henry and he has his own kind of obsessive quirk about him, she also has this kind of odd infatuation with this couple and it, it seems like maybe she's kind of projecting onto like a life that she wishes that maybe she could have like some sort of normalcy but what I'm wondering is do, do you think that her relationship and I'm trying to kind of skirt around as many spoilers as I can <laughs> sure. but do, do you think that her relationship with them is over when the film ends, or do you think that there's going there would be more to that
1: um I think it's
2: you know to a certain extent it's open ended and it's intentionally intentionally so I mean you know I think that uh i'm try you know I've tried my best to leave room for a lot of interpretation. I think for me personally, you know I look at it, and Charlie to me is the character that actually grows the most you know throughout the film, and I feel like at the end she' kind of a place where she kind of realizes that the decisions she's making, you know, while maybe spontaneous and fun in the moment are not necessarily, um, the things she really wants with her life and that, you know, the interaction with Beth and Henry, you know, has kind of brought her a place where she's ready to figure out who she really is and wants to be rather than always reacting to the other person, right? Whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, her online modeling where, She's excited because they think she's hot, or whether it's you know fulfilling the other half of henry's conversation or you know trying to to um, go somewhere with Beth in terms of their relationship so to me that's i think um, that you know that's that's where I see it is that she doesn't necessarily need to be involved with them anymore because right. she's grown so much
0: yeah yeah well that's that's fantastic, so I just have one final question these Safe sa- safe and sound records that are prominent, They, I mean, they play a pretty big role in the film. I'm assuming that these things actually exist. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more how you came about these things and maybe sure. your interest in these things.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, early drafts were, were definitely based on, you know, Henry's sound obsession and, and Charlie's photography and things like that but I hadn't yet found the records. And so it was like, was it going to be radio plays? Was it, what could it be that, you know, um, that was going on? And and a friend of mine, he didn't even know, um, you know, what I was, what I was working on in terms of the, the film, you know, passed along, um, these kinds of records. They're not called safe and sound, but, um, there's another one that he passed along to me called play it safe that, um, they're, you know, real records, you know, that were for home security that you put on
3: mm-hmm. and
2: then, um, leave and burglars and think you're home because it's it's just a conversation going on. And that of course was just I immediately walked in, like, okay, this is perfect. And then, you know, went and went and listened to them and um and they're they're pretty crazy thing, pretty crazy elements. Um and of course, you know, it just that idea of this hyper um hyper natural, right? You know, because we Mm -hmm. listen to the conversations, and they're so simple and talking about, like, do do you want a cup of coffee? Yeah, black. You know, I mean, just the most basic, banal conversations you could have, really. But there are moments in them that are so ridiculous (laughs) that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, you know, to me, I was like, this is incredibly seductive that you'd want. Of course, you'd want to listen to these because there's some strange artifact, not just of a different time, but of a totally different idea of of what how what home security would be or what you know what it you know uh, whether or not this is even a good idea a thing that you would do is put you know put these records on. Um you know so that was definitely uh, a really exciting find that I thought really activated a lot of
0: stuff for me. Yeah, I mean when you when you look at the film, I mean they those play such a big role, especially during that big culminating moment mm-hmm. with, with Henry. I mean, it, it's like you just those things fit so perfectly into the film. I think it was it turned out really good. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was. It, you know, I guess that was exciting to find them. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's let's do some quick plugging. the The film is currently playing on demand right now. Is that correct? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's right. On demand and on iTunes and uh, a few other places like uh, Vudu and things like that. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. And then we've also got upcoming this weekend. Um, or this, I guess. By the time this plays, we'll just play it in New York City in Boston. Um, and then on uh, December 10th, Tuesday, December 10th in Los Angeles, we'll be at the Finna Family at 7.30 p.m.
0: All right, fantastic. Uh, JR, thanks so much for taking some time to uh, speak with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Thanks again, JR. Be sure to check out Diamond on Vinyl, currently streaming on your preferred video-on-demand provider. All right, let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching I think that I'll kick it off this week. And then we'll uh, do we'll do what we did last week and do a little back and forth. I don't know if I'm going to list everything that I saw this week because I saw a bunch of stuff. So one that I do want to talk about is Contracted, which I believe is on Video On Demand right now. And this, <laughs> it, it seemed interesting to me. It seemed like kind of a, a weird concept. Basically, it's about a girl who gets an STD that is... The mother of all <laughs> STDs, sure, and it kind of rots her body from the inside out, Yeah. Sure. So this was had to be one of the most frustrating movies I've seen all year. So this girl has a one night stand with a guy at a party. She gets drugged. She gets date raped, basically. And well,
3: I was I was gonna say that's not a one night stand. That's rape.
0: Yeah. Well, it
3: let's, let's please clear that up. Well, one night stands are not rape.
0: Well, here's the thing: like it, it seems like it's like she's into him. It seems like she initiate. It's not like she passes out and then gets raped. It's,
3: but I don't understand because the storyline says that she's drugged and raped by a stranger, and then the tagline is "Not your average one night stand." Right? Yeah. So it seems very confusing here.
0: This guy. This guy drugs her, but he, she's, like, hitting on him and and stuff, and she's conscious when they're having sex, because she's like, I don't think we should do this and stuff. So, I don't know. Whatever. Either way, she has sex with this really skeezy guy that apparently had sex with a corpse, and she gets, okay. she gets this STD that results in, like, her eyes start bleeding, and her skin gets all jacked up and her fingernails fall off her teeth fall out her hair falls out (laughs) and the entire time you would think like i'm gonna go to the hospital my eyes are bleeding there's maggots maggots falling out of my vagina oh and and her crotch was also like gushing blood okay so you would think like oh my god i'm dying i need to go to the hospital but no, she doesn't. She does go to the doctor at one point, and the doctor's like, well, it looks like you have an STD, but we won't know for sure until we get the test back. Uh, until then, it's probably best you just stay away from people. And it's like, why? It seems is, like the worst doctor ever. Yeah. Why is this doctor not like, oh my God, I'm going to call the CDC? Because you're you're clearly, there's something terribly wrong with you. And But the funny thing is, d- even though she's going through all of these horrible, horrible things, she's still, like, going to work. She's, like, trying to work through it, and she's, she's going through all this, like, <clears throat> drama because she got dumped by her girlfriend, and she's trying to get back with her girlfriend, and it's just, it's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. It sounds just... And the whole time, the whole time I'm just like, go to the fucking hospital. What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Go to the hospital.
3: Yeah, you definitely have something extremely wrong with you.
0: This isn't, this isn't a wait and see kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this, at, at one point. Just
3: let those maggots run its course. <laughs>
0: and Everything will be all right. And then, of course, like, she has sex with some guy. At one point, for for some reason, she's a lesbian, but then she has sex with another guy, which was a really gross scene, by the way. And he was
3: still into it.
0: Yeah, for some he was, reason, he for, still
3: won it. He still went along.
0: Yeah, for some reason. Let me let me just let me swipe these
3: maggots away. Let's and get then, down to business.
0: And then, well, when he saw the maggots, he freaked out. But then, like,
3: it was just how long into it until you see the maggots?
0: It was it was uh. It was a good bit. It was a good bit. It wasn't until he, like, looked... He just, like, glanced down and saw them on the floor.
3: I would imagine if there's May, it's that there, there's a... There's, like, a rotten smell. Yeah, I would that think That would keep would you so. far away from this person. I would think this so. sounds like the dumbest movie I've ever It's heard. terrible.
0: Like, it looks really good. The visuals look really good. But it was terrible. I think it could have been a really interesting kind of body horror film, but... It didn't work. didn't work at all. What do you it's got?
3: I watched The Kings of Summer. Ooh. Finally got around to watching this bad boy. <clears throat> and started off great. was really into the humor because it's really random. And just a, a ton of throwaway lines, which is my absolute favorite. Plus, uh, Nick Offerman's character is just, he says everything that you want to say mm-hmm. in life. And I was really into it. And then the montage started. And I know that this was like one of your favorite films of the year. But like at first, the first montage, I was like, yeah, I like this. This looks great. Okay. You know, I, I get it. You know, you're setting up why they're doing this, why they're building the house and everything. And then, you know, there's like two minutes of dialogue and then another montage. I'm like, okay, well, now they're showing building the house and getting their supplies and stuff. All right. That's great. And then it would cut back to like five minutes of dialogue and then another montage. And I'm like, alright, let's calm it down with the montages a little bit here. And it seems like I was constantly interrupted for
0: by a trailer for a film that I was already trying to watch. You see, I I, I liked the montages. I wasn't bothered by them at all. I like I liked them quite a bit. Now, I did uh comment on your review on Letterboxd and I said that I did rewatch this at home and I wasn't uh, as impressed by the overall look of the movie as I was when I saw it in the theater. So I think that that yeah. definitely I mean, has something to do with for, it.
3: For for uh, Jordan Vault Roberts, what, this is his first film, right? First full length? Yeah. First, like, oh no, he's. This is his first oh, yeah, feature, it is. feature okay. length film. Yeah, so. yeah, first feature length. I mean, it looks, it looks great. I mean, it's highly polished, it has a great look to it. The montages do. I mean, they're captured perfectly. I mean, the the camera work within them are great. But to me, it was just, it got a little tiresome after a while because there was just so many of them. It kept going into like that um, music video mode. And then the thing on top of that is the coming-of-age tale that this apparently contains, which they don't come of age at all. They don't really learn anything. And the character of Joe Toy, I just... I couldn't get past this kid. This kid is like the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. He's just an insolent prick throughout the film. I mean, completely unsympathetic in every way. Yeah. And I do understand what you're saying because you said, you know, he's a teenage kid. And a lot of times teenagers are assholes and they don't really realize it. I understand that. But some of the stuff that this kid does is beyond that like saying that he's an insolent prick is actually putting it lightly I mean this guy is just the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen or one of like the way that he treats his love interest just he seems like the type of guy that's gonna grow up and be verbally and emotionally (laughs) abusive to women because he was already showing it and he wasn't even with the girl he's like holy shit she made the right decision So that that was the 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 big thing that really kept me out of like in this film, but I did like a lot of the humor, especially from the parents. I thought that they were great, especially uh, uh, Patrick's parents. Mm -hmm. I really I really connected with that. Do you want a washcloth? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll take a washcloth. (laughs) No one eats vegetable soup. And just the random, uh, one of my favorite lines of the movie is just goddamn Ohio soccer jazz. <laughs> like, I can't get past that. I want to know what Ohio soccer jazz is. I don't know. Is it, is it, do you, is it like sort of like chess boxing where you like have a jazz off and then play soccer and then have another round of jazz and then an, another round of soccer? Or do you play jazz while you're playing soccer? I don't, do you cycle out? I don't understand what Ohio soccer jazz is, but I want to see it very badly. And the character of Biagio, (laughs) which, I mean, he's completely ridiculous, and he's only there for just to be weird, but some of his stuff was, I found to be very
0: funny. I thought he was hilarious.
3: Yeah, I did, I did enjoy him, but it's just the main character, Joe Toy. I couldn't get it, and then he goes and puts the mustache on (laughs) <laughs> gross that thing which is just like that suits you so much because you're an asshole. Mm. I just I couldn't That could really piss me
0: off in this film. Are you familiar with the boy who cried wolf? I'm sorry <laughs> what? The boy who get the fuck off my porch. <laughs> and those wontons
3: were way too big. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Was it just one wonton? It
0: was one. I think it was one. <laughs>
3: Uh, I, I, and I love the fact that he was like, "Have you ever had one of those days where it feels like someone's pissing in your face all day long?" <laughs> and the guy's like, "Is that good or bad?"
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really love that movie. It won't it won't make it to my top ten this year, but it's very. I
3: just I just close. wish that they the the Joe Toy character they just cut out some things, like the fact that he just runs off like a small child and calls the police. Yeah, that. Like he does that all the time, apparently too. It's like, oh my god.
0: Well, I mean, he's fifteen. That shows that he has some. He just has some problems. He has major issues. Like you
3: don't do that. Normal people don't
0: do that. No, but I'm sorry. Clearly, he he has some emotional issues, probably stemming from his mother. Well, no. They were saying that even when his mother was around,
3: that he was insane.
0: Yeah, I for guess, the most I don't, part. I don't know. And then, like,
3: they do the. Like they try and bring it all together, and he learned his lessons by that little fun giving each other the finger. I'm like, ah, everything's okay. It's like, no, it's not.
0: Nothing was resolved. Well, but I think that I think that it's implied that he he learned something. He's gonna I don't be think a, he did. a better man because no, of this.
3: I didn't get that at all. He I... was still an asshole at the hospital when she was like, "I got you a card," and he was a smug prick then too.
0: Mm. I think that he was better at that point. Mm. <laughs> I uh, I
3: respectfully disagree.
0: Agree to disagree. Agree to
3: disagree. Joe Toy's a dick. Okay.
0: Uh, I saw a movie called Bella Kiss Prologue. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> God, you know it, it was my week. Was it started off extremely rough? It ended. It ended good, but it started off really bad. Um, so this is. It's a German film with all German actors, but it's all done in English, all the all the dialogues in English. So that right there results in some very strange delivery of dialogue. I can imagine. Like really bad, just really bad. I wish that I don't think that the movie would have been much better, but maybe it would have been a little better if you just had the actors speak in German and have it be subtitled. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's this is terrible. This is a movie that feels so freaking long. <laughs> I had a really hard time getting through it. Uh really so, freaking. and it's only
3: 106 minutes. I know. It's, That's not it just feels it's like it just good. took
0: forever. cuz there's like there's really serious pacing problems with it. And so basically it's about it's based on a true story of this serial killer back in the beginning of World War 1 these soldiers in budapest found these barrels that were filled with girls the the bodies of girls and they found 23 of them i think and so this movie explores that and raises the question of okay so this guy was never found in real life he was never found like they there've been sightings of him but the police never found him and this movie kind of infers that maybe he never died at all; like he's still alive. Okay. People. And he drinks the blood of people to prolong his life.
3: Well, well, I got here that he was born in 1877, so yeah, pretty sure he's he's gone.
0: But but no, because he drinks the blood of people.
3: Oh, that's right. Forever. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. I forgot that, that you can do that. It's like a va- he's like a vampire but not really a vampire. Just a person yeah. that drinks blood and lives forever okay. because of it. Mhm. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, group of kids go to this hotel after they rob a bank and turns out that the owners of the hotel are this Kiss family. Bella Kiss is the guy's name and they yeah, I'll get killed one by one, and there's this twist involved that's really dumb, and that's pretty much it. The worst thing about this movie is that this is a prologue, so that means that there's going to be more of these, and the ending no. of the film kind of sets up the next chapter. No. Uh, one thing I will say is that it looked really good. Okay. Visually, there were these random flashbacks that they would do throughout the movie, which they didn't fit at all, but they were like... These, like, super, super stylized, slow motion flashbacks of the the whole Bella Kiss mythology. And Mm. they looked really good. It looked almost like a Zack Snyder thing. Yeah. But the thing is, like, they didn't fit and they were pretty uninspired. Like, it looked good, but there was, like, no originality and it didn't really, those scenes didn't fit with. The like the modern day, like the present day stuff that was going on. Yeah. So even that, I was just like not impressed. So, Bella Kiss, it's on demand right now. I don't recommend it. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, don't do that. I watched uh White Reindeer. I saw it, this too. Did you, you did see this? Okay, which I have a review up on the site for. Um, this was, you know, sort of your typical indie venture into suburbia around, but around Christmas time. And it involves a young know, woman who is, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, she's, she becomes a widow. She's sort of lost in just grief and trying to find her way. Uh, this is from Zach Clark, and this is one of the films they played at South By when we were there. Yeah, we didn't which- get a chance to see it.
0: Which I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of this movie, so I don't know how... I it was
3: aware because I remember seeing like, all the posters and that picture of her like laying on the couch. Yeah, I, I,
0: remember, I remember seeing that. that
3: everywhere at South by Southwest. And then I, apparently this got picked up by FC Films. They're the ones that put it out. So then naturally I got interested. And I have to say that I was, I was slightly surprised with this film. I mean, it's, it stays away from all those the trappings of your, regu- your regular indie films, and especially indie films that are set in suburbia, where they're usually very judgmental and sort of looking down on the characters. And in this film, Zach Clark doesn't do any of that. He just sort of presents them as people, just normal, everyday people, just trying to get by. And she makes a series of regrettable decisions, to <laughs> say the least. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> she sort of finds enlightenment or an answer or something towards the end but it's sort of left up as to you know what actually happens and again i had to say i was i was pleasantly surprised now in the realm of like cinematically speaking like the camera work and everything there's really nothing here for me at least it i think it's just sort of straight to the point no great camera work
0: uh, there's it does feature some good editing. Well, that that's exactly what I was gonna say. Um,
3: the I, editing I, I when they the sort movie. of good when they start snorting lines, the, the the way that they do that, I enjoyed that. The editing where there's just frenetic cutting back and forth, and you know, like red, different color schemes and everything. I enjoyed that. What did you think, of White Ranger? I
0: loved it. Did you? I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I in fact, I loved it so much that I immediately watched uh zach clark's other two films vacation and um modern modern love is automatic oh yeah yeah
3: how how they turn out
0: they're great i like i I don't understand how somehow this director was off my radar because (laughs) i never i never saw any of his stuff i never even knew who he was and then i saw white reindeer and i was like man that movie was that movie was great and the editing was one of the things i liked the most about it I love how there were several times in the movie when they would do a cut in the middle of a sentence when somebody was talking. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that. And just everything about that movie, just how I like dark comedies, and this is a, an extremely dark mm-hmm. comedy. Yes. But it was so, some of the scenes were just so odd and absurd. Like the, just the whole scene with, um, with, Swanberg and that that party, their Christmas party.
3: See, that was one of the things that put me off, because I just I'm sitting there thinking, why is this here? It's just it feels like it's just sort of crammed in for indie quirk.
0: Well, I think that the main takeaway from that scene was the conversation that she had with her neighbor in the bathroom. But <laughs> yeah, it was just. But I don't think that it had to be. <laughs> it had to be found in a orgy, well, I, where I'm, Joe Swanberg is.
3: He's helping people out. Well, I, love, but, I love the fact that he kept he kept trying to cheer that guy up.
0: Yeah, I I thought that that scene was really funny, but it also, it also kind of sh- is another thing to show that she's clearly doing things that she wouldn't normally do. You know, she's yeah, she's she's, she's kind of off there. Yeah, she's, she's kinda, clearly
3: lost. She's just there's no direction. She's just aimless. She's alone, which yeah. I thought was good. It feels a lot like a Sort of like a Solans movie, Todd Solans movie, It feels... but without the
0: outright disdain for the characters. Right. Yeah. It does. It does feel very much like that. Um, his uh, Clark's other movies have that same kind of feel as well. Uh, okay. It's almost like it seems like he he really likes to. First off, all his movies have uh, women characters as the mm. the main characters. And they all have this kind of kitschy, almost 50s vibe to them. Okay. Like, Vacation, which I I think that you should check that out. I don't know if you would like it, but I think that there would be certain things that you appreciate about it. Okay. Um, vacation, which was is the one before White Reindeer, basically it's about these four girls that go on a vacation to Hatteras Island, North okay. Carolina. Which I love that area, by the way. Um, and one of them dies and everything about it is so ridiculous and I just I love the the style of it like the title like the title cards that he uses the music in that movie is incredible and it's the same uh, Fritz Myers who does the music for White Reindeer also yeah, I didn't I didn't like the
3: music on White Reindeer.
0: When you see the music in yeah. Vacation is a lot different cuz it's it's Fritz Myers and then um the band Glass Candy. So okay. it's So it's it's a lot more um like electronic and kind of techno based I guess but techno. I loved it. Uh, and his first movie that um Modern Love is Automatic. I like that quite a bit too. And that's mm. about <laughs> a nurse who becomes a dominatrix at night gotcha but i don't know which one i liked the most Pro- probably white reindeer but
3: now white reindeer does because we were talking about the editing the editing is done by zach clark the director right the yeah editor. he
0: and he actually edited the other his other two movies too and he did um he did the uh what was it called dance was it u.s Dancing oh, Party the Aaron USA or whatever? Yeah, the
3: Aaron Katz. Yeah, film. the Aaron
0: Katz. He, he had to do that one too. Okay, gotcha. Uh,
3: White Reindeer also features a pretty good performance from uh, the main character, Anna Margaret Hollyman. Oh, yeah. She does a great job. And <laughs> just... the, other, the other thing that I noticed, there's two types of indie films I've noticed. I, we talked about this before. There's the one where Robert Longstreet is in them. That's your one set of indie films. And then your other set is the ones with Chris Dobeck Mm -hmm. in them. (laughs) And this one has Chris Dobeck. Yep. That gives you a little idea of what type of indie you're getting into. But I was a little trepidatious going in because, you know, it's an American indie film. It's set in suburbia. And I just, I've come to not like those films as much. It just, they've become irritating to me because I think
0: they're so off base. But yeah. this one was surprising. I, I didn't think Much that this better. one was off base at all. I I I, I like the humor in it. I thought that it was a it was a very sharp. The, there, there was there was some some good
3: comedic bits in there. The only question I do have is, uh, you know, Swanberg and his wife. Why? I mean, why do you install the sex wing right in front of the door? Which seems
0: odd. I guess that was just the best place for it. It just know. seems odd to me. <laughs> I love the scene. It's a little scene. Where she goes out on her porch and she's standing beside the the snowman uh, figure that's in her front yard and she spits on it. <laughs> it was just like a little a little thing, and I just I thought it was so funny. She, they just show her standing there and she turns and spits on it and goes back inside.
3: <sighs>
0: I thought it was great. I highly recommend it. I
3: I it's a light recommend for me. I did enjoy it. I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did.
0: I followed that up then with
3: a classic, which I'm going to be doing a, another Finkel Einhorn article and probably perhaps the most unnecessary remake of all time, and that is I watched, I rewatched Psycho, the oh, yeah. Hitchcock classic, because I really don't understand what like happened. The,
0: I feel like the, the Gus Van Zandt one was almost like an experiment or something
3: yeah which pisses me off even more, and I'll get into it when I do the, the actual article but so I had to rewatch the first one, plus my I don't think my wife has ever seen it, so she was watching it for the first time, and holy shit, Anthony Perkins is amazing in this film, yeah, I mean, a lot of people talk about like the shower scene, which is, it really seems like that's all people talk about, and then you know the big reveal at the end and all that but for some reason, I think a lot of times it gets lost how good Anthony Perkins was in this film.
0: Well, I think a, like, one, I think honestly one of the reasons is because that he was in all those other sequels that came out, and I think that that mm, I think that that, that ruined it. it. It cheapened it somehow.
3: Probably, but I mean the character that he creates in this film is just unbelievable. He's so I, I don't he has so much wit to him. It's he, he's funny. He's very cordial he's you know friendly and then at the same time he's completely insane and it's just the the nuances that he puts into it it's just unbelievable and just like his body language and the facial expressions and the little like nervous twitches that he has and everything and his ridiculous conversations that he has with complete strangers mm-hmm. that i don't know why anyone would ever stay at that hotel ever Like, I mean, as soon as you talk to the guy, I would be like, okay, I'm leaving right now. He's going to kill me because he's very bizarre. Yeah. And just, I forgot, the main thing that I forgot about this film is the ending, which I don't know how I forgot about this. And I'm talking about the very last scene where he's sitting, you know, with the blanket wrapped around him. Mm -hmm. And he's sort of having that inner dialogue. And the fact that he breaks the fourth wall with that very disturbing look on his face and he just stares at the camera i forgot that that happened and in
0: 1960 that had to be extremely disturbing well everything about that movie was groundbreaking when it came out everything
3: because i completely forgot that he broke the fourth wall at the end of the film which completely floored me i was just like oh my god this is terrible i'm so scared of him But yeah, I mean, it's automatic ten out of ten. It's unbelievable. Of course, the only thing I didn't like is sort of the how they walk you through the explanation at the end. But you know, it's sort of forgivable for it being nineteen sixty. So I can, I can, I can see past that. Just you know how the psychologist comes in and like explains everything to you. It's just like, but again, I could, I could get past it. Anthony Perkins definitely makes up for it.
0: It's also based on a book, so I don't know how much of that. Yeah, that's true. That
3: could be in there. Could be in there. But I also don't understand when she changes cars and the cop is watching her. It's like, why are you changing cars now? The cop is watching you buy your new car. Yeah. Like, whatever you're trying to do with this new car, it's not working because the cop is literally staring at you.
0: (laughs) That's one of those weird... Just That's one of those quirky, like, older movie things... Yeah, and just the way that the the car salesman interacts
3: with the woman, because I just you sort of forget all the sexist things that that are contained within these old movies. Yeah, and just some of the lines that he's delivered, you're
0: like, "What the
3: fuck, man? Come on,
0: that's completely unnecessary to say." But it was the olden days. Yep, I uh, I saw one from kind of the olden days uh, from 1973 called "Sex and Fury." Now, if you want to talk about sexist things, this is a uh, pinky violence film, and I picked this in honor of, uh, or um, for my Grindhouse Weekly article, and it's directed by Norafumi Suzuki. This is kind of a, I think that this is a pretty influential film. Like, when you see Kill Bill Volume 1, the the fight scene outside in the snow, Mm -hmm. it looks... Almost like it was lifted, like the, the setting, the scenery yeah, was lifted from this movie. There's a scene in this movie where the main character, Ocho, fights a whole bunch of dudes and it starts inside and ends up outside and it's got that like snowy kind of courtyard area and it looks mm-hmm. almost the exact same. The only difference is Ocho is completely naked in this. In fact, she's naked almost, she's naked a lot. In this movie, she likes to fight. She likes to fight with at least one boob hanging out at all times. But basically, this is about a a woman who she's a gambler and a thief, and she discovers the identity of the men responsible for her father's murder, and she exacts revenge on these men. Mm-hmm. And it also features Christina Lindbergh, who is in another some, some, somewhat iconic exploitation film called Thriller, or they call her One-Eye. We actually had mm-hmm. Ryan watch this. Yes. And she plays an English spy. And, the, you know, just like most of these movies, it's just full of sex and violence. A lot of sex and violence, but the bi- the big thing is the cinematography is out of control in this movie. It is so good. The whole time you're watching it, you're just like, how is how does, is a movie that has this kind of content look this good? I mean, yeah. it just it looks incredible. <clears throat> and full of, uh, you know, blood geysers, lots of limbs being chopped off. <laughs> the action's pretty, pretty good, pretty fun. But man, is it exploitive. I mean, this is like exploitation- at its craziest. Like, every dude in this movie is a rapist. There's, like, so much raping that happens in this movie. Good lord. It's out of control. But, you know, the the good thing is all these guys get their comeuppance. So, I, w- I would recommend it. It's better... See, I've only seen two Pinky Violence movies. I saw this, and I saw... um was the Red Handcuffs. It was Woman... What is it called? Zero Woman, Red Handcuffs, or something like that?
3: I just love how you just, you're just just throwing out words. Red, handcuffs, woman.
0: Uh, I think it was called Zero Woman, Red Handcuffs.
3: Yes, in 1974.
0: This was better than that. I liked, I liked Sex and Fury more, but yeah. So I can't, I'm not, you know, uh, the best judge of... Yeah, these you're not, picky violence movies, yeah. but so far that this is the best one I've seen. Now, there's probably going to be a fairly l- large span of time before I see another one because I'm just not that into these kind of movies, but I don't know. It's, it's worth checking out if you're into the 70s exploitation, especially Japanese. This is a Toei movie, so fans of the classic Japanese cinema of that era... Find a lot to like with this one.
3: Okay. I still haven't gotten into the Pink of violence yet.
0: I mean it's not great. If you're looking to get into other subgenres of exploitation film, there's like a lot of uh, better ones. Like I think exploitation, the uh Australian exploitation is more fun than this. Let me just talk about this one last one and then we'll just, okay. we'll get into out of the furnace then. Uh, So I saw the upper footage, and if you're not aware of what this is, so basically this is a a found footage film that's marketed as being real. And it's supposedly a 90-minute cut of a 393-minute video of these New York socialites that they're they're partying, a girl in their apartment dies, and they hide the body. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And this is—I gave this a point. Well, originally I gave it a point five out of ten. I absolutely hated it. It was so hard for me to get through this movie. Like, I mean, it is unbelievable how ridiculous this movie is. It like the 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 characters are the most depl- deplorable, racist, sexist assholes. That I've ever seen on screen. Like, I just... Five minutes in, I'm like, I have to... There's, like, 90 minutes of this? I have to go through 90 minutes of this. And all it is is these fucking prick dudes just, you know, saying horrible things about women and, like, dropping the N-word, dropping every other kind of, like, racial slur you can think of. And... Uh. Just them riding around in limos, drinking, doing drugs, and it's like this is the worst um but the reason that I gave it a one and not just like a zero or a point five is because it had a brilliant marketing campaign behind it this is this is a a movie that was being marketed like years ago through mm. these like viral videos that started popping up, and yeah, I mean it's like. The best look at media manipulation I've ever seen. I mean this this um, this story got picked up by like Entertainment Tonight, like big uh, national television programs and stuff like that started reporting you, this. You know, you know what's
3: odd about that because y- you say all of that and it's like I I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, I've never heard of any of this ever.
0: Well, it's because you and I don't read you know, stars magazine and we don't watch entertainment tonight and go to those tabloid yeah, type things. Like, that's
3: true. But it also feels like they did, did this marketing scheme just sort of run out of steam that like, cause I haven't seen anything about this film coming out or anyone even talking about this film being out.
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, I, I think originally it wasn't even designed to be a movie. It was the, the director, I think just kind of um wanted to experiment with this type of viral marketing and I but I think it just started as kind of an experiment and it it just kind of ballooned and he decided to make a movie out of it Gotcha None of it is real like there is and here's but this is the thing it is kind of the most real found footage movie I've ever seen like it, it does feel very real, but at the same time, there's still these kind of found footage tropes that are used in it that will instantly pull you out of it. Like, first of all, the acting is not great; it's it's decent, but you can kind of tell from the beginning that they're that they are clearly actors. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that there are several scenes in the movie where, like, the camera will be put down somewhere. And it'll just be, like, a shot of a wall or a girl's hair for, like, three minutes straight and nothing happening. And it's like, okay, well, if this was pulled from a 393-minute video, why why would you include that stuff? (laughs) Oh, my God. And by the end, you definitely know because of what happens at the end. You're just like, okay, there's no way. But... I was actually because I didn't do any research about this before I watched it or anything. Like I just kind of bas knew the base basic stuff, yeah. and I thought maybe this is a a movie based on an actual real video that was floating out there somewhere. Yeah, I didn't think that the movie itself was real, but I thought maybe it's based on something that yes, was real. Yeah, but it's all fake. Like he uh-huh. the the video that was floating around back in like 2008 or 11 or something like that was fabricated as well. Either way, brilliant marketing shit movie. <laughs> it is the and I understand what they're going for. They're trying to, you know, make a statement on the the youth of the 1% and how they're just these, you know, shallow, superficial assholes. But I already knew that. <laughs> I don't need it. I don't need to see it for ninety minutes, and it it is horrible, dude. Like, I don't understand. Sorry, I I did
3: read your review, and it sounds god awful.
0: Yeah. So stay away from the upper footage. If you do want to see it, it is they're doing online screenings of it. So like, you buy a that's ticket. That's how good it is. That's how good it is. So you buy a ticket online, and then you sign on at a certain time. And then watch it live. <laughs> it
3: sounds like entirely too much work.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's,
3: oh my god, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous.
0: Yeah, so stay away from that. Let's go ahead and jump into our review of Out of the Furnace, shall we? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is directed by Scott Cooper. Uh stars a slew of talented people. Woody Harrelson, Christian Bale, Casey Affleck, Zoe Saldana, Sam Shepard... Uh, Willem Dafoe. Am I missing anybody? Force Whitaker. Force Whitaker, sorry. For some reason. Uh, I do have a synopsis here. When Rodney Bayes mis- mysteriously disappears and law enforcement fails to follow through, his older brother Russell takes matters into his own hands to find justice. Now, right off the bat, I will say that I have a problem with that synopsis because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's what the movie's about. And I think that this movie was incredibly mismarketed. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, and then I thought to myself, well, how would they market it? Like, what what would they do? Because uh, updated version of the Deer Hunter? Like, where where is the, what is the main plot of this movie? Like, other than the fact that it's about uh, this family growing up in Braddock, Pennsylvania.
3: Yes, that was the best part for me. I got all excited that it was in Braddock.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, we'll we'll come back to the the location because that was my favorite part, but. I just didn't. I I like the movie. Let me let me get that out there right right off the bat. But I had very very serious issues with it. I had a lot of mm-hmm. problems with this movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it's
3: it's it's littered with problems.
0: I'll say that I liked it, but I didn't I didn't love it. I think that it it was extremely dull. It was extremely boring to me. <laughs> And I didn't feel like it knew where it was going. Like, okay, so are you
3: are you sure that you're not confusing liked with disliked? Because you're
0: like, I liked it, and then you followed it up with, "It's boring. It was really dull." Yeah, it was. But I, I have good points. I have good points to say. What, <laughs> what, where were your overall thoughts on Out of the Furnace? Um, for me,
3: honestly, for what it is, I I found it uh, fairly enjoyable. I mean. Number one, this is from the guy that did Crazy Art. So right off the bat, the guy makes Hollywood movies. This isn't going to be profound in any way. It's not going to be an unbelievable exercise in <clears throat> cinema or anything like that. It's just essentially just going to be really a, a story meant to entertain, which for the most part it did. It did have a lot of pacing issues. I mean, at times the, the pacing was just un, ungodly slow. Where you're just like, why? Why? And, it, you know, there's other things that are sort of wedged in there to to lay on this, like, uh, you know, all this emotion. But, and I'm a perfect case in point. I'm talking about his relationship with Zold, or Zoe Zoldana and the whole thing with Forrest Whitaker. It, to me, that didn't need to exist at all. It just seemed pointless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, you know, just layering and layering and layering all this stuff. Just, oh, it got to be... A bit much, and then the entire sequence with him hunting. Are you kidding me? I just that—that that was awful. Um, the soundtrack was terrible.
0: Oh my god! Uh, I actually, um, I have a couple notes here, a couple one-word notes that I like to do, and one of them is Pearl Jam.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: that just
3: seemed unnecessary. It's just there's a huge, huge, um, just vein of heavy-handedness. Throughout this film It's just But again For me It's a Hollywood film I mean they're known For heavy handedness They don't know How to be subtle So I sort Uh, of Excuse it a little bit Not not me But at the same time Like I said I was I was You know It was enjoyable For the most part Yes a lot of stuff Could have been cut out So to me It's just one of those It's like a meh film
0: Well that Yeah "Yeah." That's exactly How I looked at it Sorry. Um, I'm going to completely forget it next year. but Well, the, I'm going to completely forget it in two weeks. The <laughs> True, true. I, I just think that the big problem now, and I'm sure we're going to get into the performances, because I think the performances, for the most part, were fantastic. But Yeah, which again, for me, that's how I usually see most of these Hollywood films. It's just an
3: excuse for people to really yeah. kill it performance-wise. Yeah.
0: But but for me, uh, those those incredible performances weren't enough to excuse a story that I f- I found to be uh, very lacking. Like it was a really simple story, but at the same time they packed in all these subplots where I was just like, okay, wait wait a minute. All right, so we got. The relationship between their fathers dying, and then the relationship between the two mm-hmm. brothers, and then he goes to jail. He goes yes, he goes Dude, off hate- to Iraq, and then there's the uncle, and then there's Willem Dafoe, and there's these underground fights, and it just Dude, goes he, on and he, on and yeah. on.
3: He employs like every single cinematic theme or storytelling theme that you could into one film. And I mean, to the, to the point of just it's overkill, and that's what I'm really. saying.
0: Like the I feel like that this was kind of mismarketed in that you. You think that it's about a brother trying to find his his you know his brother, and going into this foreign place and ha- going up against Woody Harrelson and trying to find the whereabouts of him, what happened to him. But that's and not like, how the movie like, is at all.
3: That's like ten minutes of the movie. Yeah.
0: And the funny <laughs> thing is, I love it when he actually goes to New Jersey. They're there for, like, five minutes, and then a cop comes up and says, hey, you got to get out of here. And then they yeah. just leave, and that's it.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: and you say that it's, like, five minutes, but it does feel like they're there for, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's just that nothing happens. I Because mean, they they, they, they just and- take your... they He takes his time
3: showing you, like, everything. Yeah. It's almost like it plays out in real time. And you're yeah. just like, you? Why are you do- Why aren't they hunting right now? Why is this happening? Yeah, that which is in, uh, the that was the biggest scene for me where i was just like Why? the the Why? Cu- the back and forth between mm-hmm. and then christian the show bale christian Fever. bale lining up the buck right crawl yeah. stairs yeah and then just oh not gonna do it then he runs back to his uncle and he's like did you see anything nothing yeah. <laughs> didn't
0: see a thing it's like oh geez well let's kidding me yeah i that was like the bigot, the big problem I had. Just there was so much, and the the beginning of the film, the opening scene of the film, took place at a drive-in, and it was this terrible scene involving Woody Harrelson, and it, I guess basically it was meant to set up his character, like mm-hmm. like he's this evil son of a bitch, but. I mean, was it necessary to to set up the fact that he's an evil son of a bitch? I mean, I'm pretty yeah, sure you, Yeah, you <laughs> I'm pretty sure everything else that happens in the film lets the viewer know that he is an evil bastard. But also, I thought it was odd. Did you know what movie that they're playing on the drive? No, I was scene? trying to figure that out. It was Midnight Meat Train. Okay. And right off the bat, I knew that it was Midnight Meat Train. And the whole time I'm thinking, what is what is the significance of Midnight Meat Train? Because they showed it, like, prominently. And I was trying to piece it together as to why he chose that movie. Because there's, there's no way that movie was playing on a, on a drive-in <laughs> that's what I in, in that's New Jersey or Pennsylvania. wherever. That, yeah, that's the first thing that hits me is you
3: would not be able to see
0: that. And I was just trying to figure out, like, what... What the significance of Midnight Meat Train was, and I don't really know. I don't either. Other than that, the fact that like Vinny Jones in that played a guy who would like kill people on a train and feed it to some creature. Okay. I don't know.
3: I, I see. I really want to get into that now. Yeah. What is, what is the correlation between Midnight Meat Train and Out of the Furnace?
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about performances. I thought that everybody did a great job i love sam Shepard. i just want to throw that out there he, yeah he didn't he didn't have a whole lot to do in this movie but he, i just think he's so great
3: he's just he's a comforting presence now yeah i just I, for I whatever know. reason that's just that's how i feel when i see sam Shepard in a movie I'm i think like, oh, yeah everything is going to be okay sam shepherd's here
0: i think you're right uh i thought that uh i thought that christian bale was great in it i don't know how you felt about it I thought he
3: was pretty good. I was actually more surprised by Casey Affleck. Because going into this film, I was... and I mean, I've talked about this before, but going in, I was like, all right, am I going to have to watch Casey Affleck again playing that same damn character? Uh, you know, the, the killer yeah. inside me, Ain't Them Body Saints. That's what I was going in expecting. But I got something different.
0: Oh, I thought he I was, happy. I thought he was good, but I thought that there were a few scenes with him that were a little over the top. The scene when he pulls the sh- his shirt over his face and screams—I was—I thought that, that was a little silly. But... That was the well, and for me, I think a lot of that had to deal. Those problems rose from
3: the the screenplay itself, Could be. because they—I mean—they reduce his problems to just you know voiceover through a letter, mm-hmm. and it's like, are you kidding me? This guy's going through complicated shit, yeah. and you're gonna you're gonna turn it into spoon-fed information,
0: right? Uh, I thought Woody Harrelson was great. I thought that he played the the villain character really <laughs> great. He was creepy and gross and ruthless. Just, I,
3: I just remembered something I'm very happy that I did. I just loved the line where Casey Affleck and Woody Harrelson talking to each other. And when Willem Dafoe comes out, he's like, well, am I supposed to be afraid of him because he's sucking on yep. a
0: lollipop?" <laughs> yep, I was just going to mention that. <laughs> uh, that was uh, great. Uh, Willem Dafoe did a fine job, he didn't have a lot to work with nah. there either. Uh, Zoe Saldana, which was kind of the weird, I felt like she was a weird addition to this because you look at the location, and we're gonna, I want to talk about the location in just a second, but all the other actors in this movie can easily get into the role of this kind of poor white trash, you know, make their hair greasy either take away their makeup or make, give them, make them look dirty. But Zoe Saldana, I think even to stripping away any kind of makeup or giving her makeup to make her look more plain, I feel like she just doesn't fit in that location. But I thought they did a pretty good job of making, you know, making do with that. I just,
3: I didn't understand the necessity of that entire storyline.
0: Well, uh, no, of all. course, of course not. And the, 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 the
3: the big thing for me was then the inclusion of Forrest Whitaker as the the new the boyfriend. Police, yeah, the new boyfriend slash police chief
0: who does nothing. who,
3: who yeah who does nothing and also I thought was a, just a bad performance from Whitaker. He had a weird voice. I mean, yeah, his and it seemed like his
0: accent would
3: cut in and out. <laughs> like he would be doing it and then he would forget and just start talking normally.
0: Well, um. Uh, that that brings me up to what, to what I want to talk about next, which is the location and the accents. Now, the I felt like pretty much everybody just had kind of a white trash country accent. But Christian Bale, and I don't know if you noticed this, but he did like a Pennsylvanian accent. Did you notice this?
3: I'm I'm not sure if I did.
0: Yeah, he totally, he had like a Pennsylvania accent going and it sounded so good. And
3: How many times did they say use?
0: I don't, I don't know. But just, I'd like to see if there was use. Just the voice in inflections uh, sounded very much like from that area. And as soon as the movie started, I didn't know that this took place in Pennsylvania, but five minutes in, I knew that it was in Pennsylvania. And I leaned over and I was like, I bet this is Pennsylvania. Sure enough, like, maybe... Ten minutes in, they show a license plate, and I was like, yep, there it is. (laughs) Funny thing for me, one of the main reasons I saw this is because it takes place in Braddock. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I had no idea. I had no interest in
3: this film, and then I was like, oh, it's filmed in Braddock. I'm definitely checking this out.
0: Yeah, and like my my family comes from around that area, like the suburbs of Pittsburgh in uh, Allegheny County. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, I was, I was really into that. I love the look of that. Any movie that takes place in that kind of place, like location, I'm already kind of on board. Yeah, the old steel towns. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that. Although, I will say, no Utz chips. What's going on there? Where were the yeah. Utz chips? I couldn't believe it, honestly.
3: How do you not showcase some of Pennsylvania's fine snack foods? Exactly. Snack capital of the world. you kidding me?
0: So that was like a big plus for me. Uh, I, I love the location. But one thing that I didn't like about the cinematography, uh, well, I didn't like the cinematography at all, actually. <laughs> it was, it's just a personal preference. I didn't, I didn't think that it was a problem, but my personal preference when watching a movie is to use more like wide angle lenses and things like that. Pull, pull it back a little bit. But in this movie, everything was so fucking close and tight and claustrophobic.
3: I just, I had a problem with the, you know, at times it would be, you know, the gritty handheld. Mm-hmm. And then at other times it would be highly polished Hollywood style. And it was just constantly like a battle between those two yeah. sort of looks. That I was just like, uh I, I couldn't get into it.
0: I just felt like everything was so tight, like so pulled in on everybody's face, like right in there. We're right in there all the time.
3: <laughs> right up in it. Yeah. Right up in their shit, dude. And right again, the shit.
0: again I'll say that I didn't find it to be problematic. It was just a personal preference. Yeah, yeah. It's the same
3: for me. Yeah. Now, the the musical choices on the other hand,
0: that was problematic. That, is not, that has nothing to do with personal preference. That was a bad choice. That was just awful. And I did
3: another, um, probably the number one thing that I don't understand at all was the very last scene.
0: Yeah, the very yeah. I don't. The I very don't think, I last did not, scene. I did. I was like, what? Like the, it didn't make sense to me. Like, what was that even for?
3: I I'm at a complete loss as to what happened.
0: Yeah, there. I, I don't understand. I I just feel like that this movie is so bloated with stuff that they they just it could have used some trimming. I mean, oh, yeah, if it's a movie about these two brothers and their relationship, then make it about those two brothers and the relationship. And, you know, Christian Bale takes the high road and he works for a living and Casey Affleck's the troubled, you know, vet that they fell into the wrong crowd and Christian Bale needs to get him out of that life. If that's what you want it to be about, then make it about that. Don't just, cause th- that whole plot feels like a side note to me. Mm-hmm. There's,
3: there's entirely too much going on here. It's just, like I said, there's just way too many themes. Like you said, you know, it's bloated. Yeah. It seems like he took like six films and tried to pack it all into one.
0: I thought that the, uh, the climax was was, I wasn't too impressed with that either. Just felt no. so overly theatrical, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, just, I was not into that either. But no. at any rate. So you're by the time this airs, we'll have a review up on the site. I actually wrote a review for the Examiner for this as well. So. Oh,
3: I didn't. I did not. I'm gonna have to read. I have to read yours. You don't know have to compare to mine.
0: It's, it's not that good. Well, mine isn't either, but... <laughs> uh, what What are you what are giving this out of ten? I gave this a five and a half. I'm going to gonna I'm gonna go with a five. Uh, on the Examiner, if you read my review on there, the way that they do their scoring is it's out of five, but you can't do halves. Okay. So I either had to go with a two or I, a three.
3: Yeah, I can't stand that.
0: So I went with a two. Because a
3: two sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. Three that, sounds
0: like it's actually pretty good. Th- that's the thing. Like... I'd like to sit at a two and a half, but I had to go one way or the other, so I went with the two. Gotcha now, I
3: just a quick side note. The title for this film is actually a play on the title of a novel. The novel's called "Out of This Furnace which was published in nineteen forty one which was set in Braddock and actually told a story of uh immigrants trying to make it in the steel town and everything that they have to deal with. So that's sort of where the, the title of this movie comes from.
0: Mm. I think that steel mill has since closed, I think, maybe? And Braddock is... Uh, they're in trouble. Like, they're in big yeah. trouble.
3: Which has been highly documented. He, The, the mayor, John Fetterman, he's, he's all, been on yeah. a number of things. He's all over the place. Yeah,
0: you can see him on... He goes on real-time with Bill Maher a good bit. He's Yeah, he's all over the place.
3: Which is... It's nice. It's nice to see. That's one of the main reasons I like Braddock, and I want to see Braddock do well, is because they actually have a guy that cares. It's yeah. like really trying to help out that area. Hopefully yeah. this gives it a little boost.
0: I hope so. I, I hope, like, I don't. I didn't, I don't know if this was filmed on location, but mm-hmm. just yeah. the filming of this movie probably helped. That's right. There you have it, Out of the Furnace. I would say, uh, I would still recommend it, but... I see.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I said, for what it is, you know, it's just supposed to be an enjoyable Hollywood film, which I think it does for the most part.
0: Yeah, Yep. definitely. There you have it, Out of the Furnace. All right, let's go ahead and go over predictions. Uh, last week we said Out of the Furnace, I said 80, you said 74, actual 51 mm. on Out of the Furnace. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Inside Lewin Davis I said 89 You said 92 Actual 94 Pretty exciting What did I, what did
3: I say it was going to be
0: You said 92
3: I Is it wrong That I have no interest In
0: this movie at all You don't have any interest In Inside Lle- Lewin uh, Davis Like
3: I am going to see it Because The Coen Brothers Are one of those You know you have like A list of directors That you will watch Anything by them Doesn't matter What it is If you, well, you just tell me So and so has a new film right. I'm like yep Going to see it So that's how I already Am with the Coen Brothers But when I read about this film, I'm like I have no interest in this whatsoever.
0: I have a very uh big interest in it. Initially I wasn't that interested in it, but I have since heard the music. And with movies like this, if the music's good, I'm in. And uh the music is really fucking good. So Okay, maybe I'll have to listen to some of that music. I'm in. I'm I'm sold. All right, next week we have The Hobbit. Desolation of Smaug Smaug <laughs> Smaug <laughs> uh, What are you thinking on this one I have no clue
3: When is this going to end How many are, How many hobbits are there going to be
0: Well there's this one and then there's Four? one more that's going to be next year And then that'll be it
3: Okay um,
0: I'm going to say like a 88 I'm going to say 74 I don't, even, I don't even know how the first one did Not Didn't do great I mean, critics critics were a little uneven on it. I don't even think it made as much as they expected it to, but I don't know, whatever. And we have Tyler Perry's A Medea Christmas. Uh huh. I'm gonna say 45.
3: I'm gonna say 12.
0: <laughs> oh god, Saving Mr. Banks. It's the big Tom Hanks Disney Mary Poppins.
3: Am I the only one that thinks that this movie looks? Just god awful.
0: I don't I don't have any interest in it at all. I mean I'll I'll probably go see it. The only thing that has me interested is the time period. I like uh I like that the time period and I, I think it'll be interesting to see like the whole like old Disney stuff. But mm. I don't really have any interest. Mm. Uh I'm gonna say like a fifty eight. I'm gonna say seventy two. And finally, we have David O. Russell's American Hustle. I'm getting stoked for this
3: movie. Christian Bale looks amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing that I'm concerned about. David O. Russell, like, he has this uncanny ability to make me so excited for what he has and then ultimately kind of let me down.
3: Well, again, I think
0: a lot of people get this mixed up. David O. Russell, for what it's
3: worth, is this just going to be, you know... Hollywood enjoyment film. Like, I don't really think it's anything
0: more than that. It's interesting, though, because American Hustle to me looks like a Soderbergh film.
3: It does sort of, it does have the feel of a Soderbergh film. I'm Plus, gonna... I just Bradley Cooper in a perm? I know. Perms? Are you kidding me? Perms?
0: It's based on a true story, too, which always, that always oh, piques my interest. But I'm going to say 79 on American Hustle. I'm going to say 84 hopefully it'll be good i'm excited to see it in limited release next week we have hours which is the paul walker film here comes the devil ms 45 which is the re-release of the abel ferrara movie (sighs) crash reel crash (laughs) reel which uh that's that's hitting theaters but i think you can see that on hbo go if you have hbo
3: I was going to say, didn't you say that was actually really good?
0: It's really good, yeah. We reviewed it a while back, but it yeah, it's really good. Uh, Some Velvet Morning, which I actually don't know anything about. And The Unknown Known, which is the latest um, Errol oh, Morris, Morris documentary. Yeah. Which is Rumsfeld. Yeah, interested R- in that. Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld.
3: <laughs> I just Rumsfeld. like how you
0: say, which is Rumsfeld rumsfeld i don't think you need to know anything (laughs) to me that's just that's a noun which is rumsfeld that encapsulates a lot of stuff uh next week on on video on demand we have here comes the devil hours banshee chapter mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. i I think it's a horror (laughs) movie by the sounds of it and some velvet morning which again i know nothing about
3: see now That's just a ridiculous title for a film.
0: Some Velvet Morning or Banshee Chapter? Both, really.
3: (laughs) Some Velvet Morning has Stanley Tucci. Okay. Surprises, it's Former Mistress.
0: Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have Fast and Furious 6. I saw this in the theater, actually. I don't know if I reviewed it or not, but I thought it was all right. Surprisingly, all right. Despicable Me 2, which looked really annoying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i would describe that as annoying Uh, the hunt which i absolutely oh my god this is
3: this is because i haven't been able to see this yet and i am amped to have a soul-crushing day
0: oh boy it is (laughs) because it is heavy very heavy mads mickelson highly recommend that one man of tai chi which is the keanu reeves directed directorial debut A door, which is that one with Naomi Watts, isn't that I think? That's Mm -hmm. the one where the the, yeah Robin right? That's the one where the they're like they fall for each other's sons. Yes, (laughs) that's the dumbest. (laughs) Give me a break. Uh, Post tenebrous Lux, which I think uh, you'd probably highly recommend it. I do. I but I can definitely give it a light recommend. I give it a light recommend to certain people. Yes, it's a very select group. Uh, Touchy Feely, which is Lynn Shelton's latest, which I didn't like. Uh, Jane Mansfield's Car, which I believe is directed by Billy Bob Thornton, which I was not into. And Battle of the Year. Oh yeah. Which I highly recommend. <laughs> I
3: did. Brian watch that. I think or we he, picked, did. He watch something. Yeah, we, we picked yeah, something. Blue of that. Yeah. Okay. So I also got one here. The Barbarian Sound Studio
0: comes out. Oh, I didn't see that.
3: Which seems like that's been... That's like the new um, All the Boys yeah, yeah Mandalay. Well, yeah. Like, it just never goes away.
0: Yeah, that was one that had a really weird release. Like, it it hit the festivals, and then it came out in other countries, and I don't know what happened with that.
3: Uh, there's also Ben Wheatley's Sightseers. That's coming out. Which I highly that. recommend it. And oh, another one that I want to see, and I've been wanting to see for a long time, which is Museum Hours which I finally get to do. I've been trying to see that thing for like the last year and a half, which has been getting a lot of good, good reviews.
0: Yeah. looks, uh,
3: looks boring.
0: Mm -hmm. Right
3: (laughs) up my alley. It's art museums. I'm in. Uh, there's two criterions. One is the Malaysia brothers documentary, great gardens about the reclusive cousins of Jackie Onassis, which I have not seen this yet. It's supposed to be, you know, one of the best documentaries ever still haven't seen it maybe that will change doubt it <laughs> and then there's a box set of Martin Scorsese's World cinema project which we sort of talked about his work a number of times before where he you know goes around and um, finds films from around the world and sort of uh you know restores them and tries to bring attention to them so through with in collaboration with criterion they're doing a box set of I think it is six films from all over the world. Hmm. So you have um, films from Senegal, Mexico, India, Bangladesh, Morocco, and South Korea. Sort of hand-picked by Martin Scorsese. Very cool. And I'm actually I'm interested in a number of these. One of them, with the, the Korean movie is actually the original, if you remember the movie The Housemaid. Yeah. This yeah. is the original from 1960. Oh, cool. Which all of them actually are on Hulu Plus. If you have that right now, you can watch them.
0: There you go. Check it out on Hulu Plus. All right. I think that'll wrap it up. All the latest film news and reviews. Visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email. Feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan watches a movie.